This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. The goal of this podcast since day one is to provide the best information on the Vancouver real estate market at no cost to you, the listeners. To that end, we'd like to thank the following sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Burquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one beds to three beds, Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at markon.ca slash Sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at markon.ca or follow them at Instagram at markonhomes. Markon, building for life. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your other host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, today we've got a phenomenal episode. We have Kevin Desmond, CEO from TransLink. This was a major get for the show. Phenomenal conversation. We actually caught him leaving the UDI Breakfast Series. We did. The Urban Development Institute, where Kevin was the guest speaker talking about transportation policy now and in the future, obviously, over the next 10 years. Super exciting conversation with Kevin. Yeah, for sure. And, and we, we were setting up the equipment because we actually we filmed this, so it's going to be available on YouTube as well. Right. Um, but we were, we were setting up the equipment, and we didn't get a chance to actually see his, his uh, keynote, I That's guess. Right. But at the end of the day, he covered most of it right here, and we're bringing it to you live. Not on, live. Not live. Sorry, recorded. Recorded <laughs> on, on a podcast and on YouTube. So we're super excited about that. Um, and another thing about that I'm excited about as an investor, as somebody watching the real estate market in Vancouver, Kevin talks about the station along the Broadway line that he's most excited about. And a lot of you are probably thinking commercial platform. It's not commercial platform. It's not commercial platform. Uh, Stay also, tuned though. Don't, also, no spoilers, right Matt. by the Independent at Maine. It's not there either. But no spoilers. Okay. But yeah, one thing we should kind of point out, because Kevin is talking about transportation policy. Right. This is really useful, uh, if it, not to put too fine a point on it, from an investment or real estate perspective. Uh, perspective just even lifestyle like or, where do you want to yeah. be able to connect to the entire city 
Right. Because right? he's talking about the future in ways that are very interesting and give you really good insight into what Vancouver is going to look like oh, it's 5, phenomenal. 10, 15 years from now for sure. So stay tuned for that. He's a, he's a real visionary. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's funny. Like when you hear him talk, he's just, he's, he's really ahead of the curve. And one of the areas, I mean, where you just came from, Vegas, seems to be like they're ahead of the curve when it comes to bottle service but how are they when it comes to transportation i was so we're we're filming this right after the long weekend i was in vegas right uh and one thing i will say is we were fresh off our talk with kevin it's worth pointing out how progressive vancouver is and how exciting the future is for this region. When you go to Vegas where there's literally thousands of people, I haven't been there in a very long time, thousands of people walking the strip, and there's also thousands of cars and potentially thousands of fatalities. It yeah. is nuts that it's like a, this, the Vegas Strip there's is like literally like a, it's like a right? freeway. Yeah. It's a freeway. And you think about that in relation to how we're conceptualizing transportation here in Vancouver. And it right. just makes you excited to be here. I, I think we're, I, we ask him if we're a leader. And in a lot of ways, after that trip, I think it's confirmed for me. Right. We're, and, we're, and, and we're doing all right. That's, uh, that's, that's a good contrast uh, for this interview. And before we get to that, let's just final, on a final note, we had our first live event. Live streaming event. Live yeah. streaming let's event last week. We're, we're learning this stuff as we go. That's right. Um, but it was, it was phenomenal. It was live at the Bento Box. Our good friend, from, Ramey from RameyFilms.com was helping out. And we had we just had a good time. It was yeah, like it was a, a hangout. Well, anyone anyone who didn't see it, it was it was on YouTube live streaming. It was Corey Wright from William Wright Commercial. You and I talking about the emergence in the marketplace of not only dispensaries but how craft breweries are taking over and leading decisions for community development and also of course for investors and everything else. Yeah, a lot was, to unpack there. We we were worried about having enough. Topic to fill up the conversation for an hour. No, an hour went by pretty quick, and it was a lot of fun. Question: It was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. And the thing is, is we got our next event on November 9th. Right. So we're going to be doing these live streaming events. Uh, I'm excited about it. I think it's it's a great thing. And uh, the idea, the idea of these, and this right. is we're all new to YouTube, at least on this show, or at least I am. <laughs> the idea is we are going to be. Asking people that are tuning in questions, engaging—it's—it's it's kind of like a, a group beer on a Wednesday night. It, it's like you get to sit down and hang out with industry insiders, which is what we're doing at this event, and uh, and you get to pick their brain, and you That's can pick right. their brain—you can actually pick their brain with your own questions. And so and, it's really exciting. And before we we cut to our talk with uh, with Kevin, we got Larry Beasley's book, right? We got Larry's Larry Beasley's book Vancouverism. We do have a couple more copies. We're going to be giving away one copy today um, over at uh, the end of the show, and so stick stay tuned for that. And um, if you do want to subscribe for our YouTube, you should head over, click subscribe. Also, click that bell. I think that bell does something. We're not entirely sure what, but I think it alerts you to new videos and potentially to live events. I didn't even see the bell, but yeah, click the bell. Also, if you want, we like Adam said, we got a couple more Vancouverism books. The draw is from the reviews on Google. Google Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. On the right-hand side, you will see our business profile. You click review, mm-hmm. you write a review, you get put in the hat. We got a winner today. We're going to announce it after a talk with Kevin Desmond, CEO of TransLink. Yep. And uh, without further ado, let's cut to our chat with Kevin. Enjoy.
Okay, so we're here with Kevin Desmond, CEO at TransLink. How are you doing, Kevin? Good morning. Just fine. Thanks for taking the time. My uh, pleasure. Can you start by maybe telling us a little bit about yourself? Oh, I don't like talking about myself. No? <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's a podcast, so I will. Uh, well, I've been here um, in the Vancouver region for three and a half years now. I live in New Westminster, and I can walk to work, which is just lovely after my 12 years commuting between Tacoma and Seattle for my job as the general manager of King County Metro. So the long, long commute on transit, on buses and trains, um, I'm glad to be walking um, these days after a a long commute. Uh, Originally from uh, New York, I've been in um, the Pacific Northwest region of this continent since 1996, though. Uh, So, and I've sort of taken up the Seahawks as a fan of that fun football team (laughs) but i am a new york yankees fan and they swept the twins last night so i'm super happy (laughs) so that gives you a little bit of different pieces of me (laughs) right so we i saw that you're from new york you've worked uh, in the pacific northwest for a while can you tell us why you went after this job in vancouver like you're moving to canada was it was there something about vancouver that attracted you to this region (laughs) Uh, we were, my wife and I were up here in 2015 to see one of our favorite uh, rock bands, a band that likes to come to Vancouver a lot, and they're from Ireland. Um, and my wife said, God, I love Vancouver. Wish we could live in Vancouver. And then I, uh, a few months later, I got a phone call uh, recruiting me for the job. And the, the appeal is, you know, having been in the Seattle region, for almost 20 years and, and working in Seattle for the, those previous 12 years, we would often come up here on business trips and study what was going on in Vancouver. And the, we were way behind, and they still are, um, the transit development here in this region down in Seattle. Uh, in 1996, they had just passed a vote, you know, major funding to begin building light rail. Um, the light rail project didn't open until 13 years later in 2009, uh, and they're, they're now well on their way to building out light rail. But we would study this region with a great deal of envy and admiration, particularly on the connection of land use planning and transit development. Um, you know, SkyTrain had been um, built out. So, you know, when I got the call, I'd been the head of King County Metro for 12 years. It was always, it's, you know, you want to look for something. The next big thing, it's just up the road. Um, didn't have to move far away from, uh, from my family. Uh, my kids, but more importantly, it, it represented a, such a cool opportunity um, to continue the really good progressive things we were doing in the Puget Sound. Um, and that is one of the things that connects us with the Seattle region. Uh, the, the folks in Seattle doing lots of good progressive stuff with public transportation, just as we are. You know, we're a little head on some things, they might be a little head on a few other things. So I was able to come and, and roll out my playbook. Um, learn more about this region and how to adapt that playbook for this region uh, going forward. And it's just been a great opportunity. And, you know, the timing for me, obviously, was was quite good because federal money started uh, emerging right after I got here, which which catalyzed and got everybody back to the table for our mayor's plan. And we could start um, building out the absolutely necessary transit improvements that had been um, long stalled. Right, right. Just two follow-ups there. One, was it you too? Might have been. 
And, and two, it sounds like Vancouver, you see Vancouver as, as a leader, at least in the Pacific Northwest, in terms of transit. Is that kind of from a larger perspective? Do people look at Vancouver's public transit as, as uh, a, a leader? Well, if I can brag, uh, we were named the outstanding public transit system um, in North America by the American Public Transit Association, our industry association that covers the years uh, 2016 through 18. Um, so, yeah, I think we are, we are admired. Um, a couple weeks ago, we had a major conference called Revolution uh, in town. Revolution was kind of created by these activists in, in Portland, which was kind of the, the launch point, at least in the United States, for the um, – uh, for the reemergence of different transit modes, particularly light rail. And Revolution is about the intersection of smart land use planning and livability with mobility planning and, and transit. So uh, we were proud to host it for the first time in Canada, first time outside of the United States, and for their 25th anniversary. And about 1,300 people came to the conference, and by all accounts, uh, they thought it was great. Everyone that comes, that, that I meet with at least, that comes from out of town, uh, to study the things that we're, we're doing or gobsmacked at the things that go on here, particularly when they come in the summer when the weather's nice. Um, but they see the types of things that we're doing, particularly from that land use and, and transit planning perspective. The, the density around the SkyTrain network is unparalleled. It doesn't happen anywhere. I mean, you can forget New York City and, and, and Chicago and, and Toronto, the older northeastern cities. For the sort of newer cities, nothing compares to the way that from a land use planning perspective, the municipal planning perspective, and the transit planning perspective, you get these outcomes. And because of that, we have an incredibly cost-effective system. So back to your question why I was interested in the job, I also knew that this that our uh, services here at TransLink are very, very effective. Um, for example, I had 1,400 buses at King County Metro. I have about 1,400 buses here, about 1,500 buses now. We carry twice the, ma- the number of people on our buses here as I did in King County for the, for the same number of people. That's because of really good transit planning, the connections between bus and rail, and the densities around our corridors. It just creates this, this wonderful outcome. When people come from outside of the region, they see what we're doing here, they said, this is the best. So, yeah, we're really proud of that in a lot of ways. And, you know, we welcome uh, people coming in to study. That said, you know, we're always um, have our eyes wide open for to steal great ideas from other people. Right, right. Um, you just you just finished your talk with UDI. Can you talk a little bit about TransLink's relationship with the development community? Uh, you know, I, I, I think it's 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 good. Uh, I think it can be very good and I think it needs to be very good. Um, particularly as we get into the next decade and the next decades of building out our mobility services in this region. Um, The most important partners, I think, in a lot of ways, that the public sector that's managing the transportation policy and the transportation outcomes, the most important partnership needs to be with land developers in a lot of different ways. Uh, What I'm learning as I meet with with, uh, developers they, they have a very interesting, much longer-term perspective than a lot of businesses. They can think about developing their big parcels over 10, 20, 30-plus-year period. They can think long-term. You know, the, a lot of their projects can take that long to fully build out. So they have an interesting long-term perspective. When I've met with the most progressive of these companies, they really, really bring a great attitude 
about, yeah, we understand we have to lay out our design very smartly. We, we need to understand what you need so that in the future, if and when public transit might come to our community, it's already laid out to be extremely supportive of that. Increasingly, though, we have this deficit of public funding to meet all of the needs. We have this incredible ridership boom, 18% ridership growth, 2016 through 18 continues to grow this year. Even as we put out more service, more people are using it. In fact, more people, the ridership growth is out, outpacing the service increase. We have to find smart partnerships, and who better to do smart partnerships with the private sector and the development community is a big part of that. And it's very important that in the intersection of municipal planning, regional land use planning, mobility planning, and then how developers see how they can make profitable projects that also meet the the public good. That's where we can that that's the sweet for, sweet spot for us to engage with them. So so ridership's up almost twenty percent. What what do you attribute that to? Like that seems striking in the last two three years. Well, it 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 leads North America by by a long shot. In fact, the the phenomenon over the last several years in most of North America is stagnant or in fact declining transit ridership. There's a lot of different reasons for that. Ride hailing or TNCs, as it were, in in many cities probably have something to do with that. But each city's got a, a different set of um, challenges. Um, so we're, our ridership growth is without parallel. Nobody has even come close to that. Seattle is fairly close to that, but still we've, we've outpaced that. There's a lot of different reasons for that. Um, we have high gas prices here. Uh, like other cities, though, we, we've got population and job growth. It's not, there's nothing overly exceptional uh, in this part of the decade of our population and job growth uh, compared to other cities in North America. We've been adding service, though. You know, and I, I said on stage a little while ago at UDI, it started with Evergreen Line opening up. That was big. And then we immediately started adding service in 2017, and we haven't stopped adding service. There was clearly a lot of latent demand. My coming in and improving the attitude towards customer service, I think, helped some of that. If we were not able to continue to add service in 2017, 2018, and 2019, that ridership growth would have stopped. So clearly, we're, you know, I, my phrase, we feed the beast. So the, our ability to add service to the buses, to create new service territories where we didn't have service before, to improve SkyTrain service, to improve C-Bus service, et cetera, et cetera, that creates this, this virtuous cycle. Okay? Latent demand adds service, mm-hmm. attracts more people, put more service out, attracts more people. One of my favorite examples of that is our Route 555 from the Carvolth Exchange on Highway 1 to the Coquitlam Station. That service isn't very old, and it's, it's anchored by a park-and-ride at, at Carvolth. Um, great success at the start. We added service. We added service. More people came. More people come. We add more service. More people came. We add more service. And then um, early next year, we're going to put double-deckers on that, on that route and double the capacity of the bus and make it fun. These are, ex- these are examples how we just need to keep with the wave going forward. As long as we can keep that spigot open, we will continue to be able to absorb and drive more ridership because there's an enormous amount of latent demand here. And as we see these towers going up around SkyTrain, that's just more people that are going to be demanding our services. Sure. So, so this idea of feed the beast is kind of an interesting, an interesting one. Uh, in your mind, what does... What are you excited about, or, or what does public transportation look like 10 to 15 years from now in Metro Vancouver? 
Well, I have no better crystal ball than, than anyone else. There, there is no doubt. I've, I've, I started my career in the public transit industry in, at New York City Transit in the 1990s. I've, I've often quipped uh, a little bit uh, cynically uh, and a little bit sarcastically that, that much of our industry is, is still stuck in the 1950s. Um, you know, that, that's, that, that's just a, a bit of a sarcastic quip about elements of the things that we do. We are in by far the most exciting um, uh, time in our industry, certainly in my career and I think for the last century. It's just amazing, um, the changes that are happening today and next decade, uh, you know, in so many different ways in, in cities throughout North America and the world will be transformed. What's really cool about this part of the world, we're a very progressive part of the world. In, in my view, we have a progressive transit agency with progressive policy leaders, reasonably well-funded. We can be part of that change as opposed to having the change happen to us. And that's what I aim to do. And we have, a, we have a really good team at TransLink that's thinking about these new mobility services, thinking of interesting ways to partner, thinking about ways, you know, as if our fundamental objective at TransLink is improving mobility for people as opposed to fundamental objective, getting more people to take my buses. If you start with how do you improve mobility for people and do it sustainably, then, then you're riding that, that, that disruption curve, as you will. What it will look like 10 years from now, I don't know. I don't know the pace of automation, how the pace of automation for trucks, for personal autos, for eventually even our buses. I don't know how that might, might play out, but it's going to be super fascinating to see how it, how it does play out. How the different types of micro-mobility services, whether it's Uber and Lyft, dockless scooters, you know, conventional bike share, the plethora of car share companies that we have in our region. It's an all-in environment, and it's going to be really cool. And the other thing that we believe very strongly is in getting our buses to zero emission. And we just launched, launched our first four um, fast-charge electric battery buses um, a couple weeks ago. It's the beginning of an era. And, and if things work out in our favor, there's no reason starting next decade that we should be buying anything but zero emission buses. So there's huge amount of change coming uh, going forward, uh, we're doing our long-range plan right now. We did our largest ever uh, public engagement this summer so that we can get everybody in this region, everybody in this region leaning in and telling us what they think uh, we should be doing over the next 10, 20, 30 years. So I don't have a, any better crystal ball really than anyone else. I want to know what the public thinks is important for the 2020s and the 2030s. <clears throat> and, and, you know, we always talk a lot about affordability and obviously climate change is, is a huge topic right now and, and should be. Can you talk a little bit about the stakes uh, that you see in terms of, of being very aggressive with, with public transportation policy? Well, the stakes are really high. In our long-range planning, we are estimating, you know, all, all the people that, that, that crunch these numbers, that over the next 30 years we're going to add well over a million people to this region. This region has about two and a half million people now, so do the math. That's a 50% increase in population. Where are we going to put all of those people? In an extremely, extremely constrained physical environment. There's, there's like, you can't grow our, our metro region. This region, one of the hallmarks of this region is it has had very, very strong land use policies to make sure we're keeping a lot of open space the agricultural land reserve and so forth, so that, and we have water and mountains. You know, there's not a lot of place to grow. So the stakes are enormous to figure out 
um, how to design and fund and then implement really, really smart, sustainable mobility solutions going forward. And then back to land use, it has to be directly linked to smart land use planning. And then it goes back to the development community. That's that symbiotic intersection right. that then you know, the land use folks, the development community that's got all the private capital you know, to make smart land uses happen. And then we, if we work with them proactively, then we can make their mobility work, the mobility work for those new developments super, super well. And then we can absorb these 1.2 million additional people they're going to be driving electric zero emission cars. They're going to be um, getting around probably in automated vehicles. And hopefully we're going to have a fully electrified zero emission fleet so that we continue to clean the air up. We provide options where people don't feel like they have to get in a car and drive by themselves to get from point A to point B. The stakes are huge. If everyone still has to drive their own car to get around, I don't know where all those people are going to fit because this region does not have the capacity or the land to build out a bunch of new highways. Mm-hmm. So uh, one of the one of the um, upcoming projects that we've been talking about a lot is the Broadway line. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk about why you're excited about the Broadway line and um, some of the stations you might be excited about? Well, six kilometer um, uh, extension from VCC Clark to um, Arbutus, um, and it's going to be a game changer uh, for that uh, for that corridor. Long in the making, uh, it won't open till the end of 2025, so we have um, a ways to go. And, and some construction disruption along the way. But that corridor, um, I had a stat, I think something like um, 40% or, or I forget the number, a huge portion of our overall bus ridership happens along that corridor with mm-hmm. east-west connections um, and north-south uh, connections. Uh, the city has big ideas for how to make sure the Broadway corridor thrives as a really, really strong um, diverse, livable community, and the Broadway line can have a lot to catalyze that. There's no doubt about it. So the most exciting part of it is, is, will be to see, you know, 10 or 15 years out, how that corridor develops. And, and I hope, uh, and I know that the city is so focused on this, that it'll develop in a really, really great way, in a very, very sustainable way. And increasingly, you know, nowadays, certainly, you guys uh, obviously know this, in a way that provides the diversity of, um, of housing and opportunities uh, that will make that, that transit investment really work from a, from a sort of social outcome as well. So it's, it's, it's going to be a great project. And, and what are your hopes uh, for working? You asked, by the way, I, I to interrupt you. You asked about my favorite station. My favorite station is the city hall, city center station, because we will finally have a seamless connection between the Millennium Line and the Canada Line. Right, right. Okay, that station is going to be very well done and going to be a huge amenity. Uh, to get people to and from uh, to the airport and to our business centers and and to Richmond, um, you know the, the the connections at Waterfront Station and at City Center now, around Granville, you know they're not great connections between the existing system and Canada Line. So finally, I think in this case we can do it right. And and, and in terms of uh, moving the the new line from Arbutus to UBC, what are your hopes for for working with the province to to get that done? Well, we have a long way to go. We're, we're in a study process now um, that will uh, conclude uh, mid-next year. Uh, to inv- uh, we have to identify vertical and horizontal alignment. A lot of work needs to be done on how much of it can be above ground and how much of it um, either needs to be below ground or is desired to be underground. 
uh, where the stations are going to be, how they will interact with future land development, whether it's out at UBC or in the Jericho lands. So there's a lot of work to be done. Uh, there's no funding for the project other than this uh, the study project. It remains um, one of the high-priority projects in the mayor's uh, vision going forward. Very expensive, will cost billions and billions of dollars. So uh, best-case outcome that we um, get the uh, our policymakers to continue work on the project in the next phase of our planning to get us to the pre-development work needed uh, to have a business case and get ready for procurement. Um, it can't be done as a continuous project with the um, Arbutus, uh, the, broad, the current Broadway um, project. Um, it still has to get into the um, queue, though, on what the priorities are going forward. It is going to cost a lot of money. So we've got to do the data uh, as well to make sure that the right projects are lined up at the right time. Mm-hmm. I would hope with the Broadway project that I think can help propel it along, not only at the regional level, uh, but with uh, senior government, the province and the federal government, that we get um, really good contribution from um, other players. So we don't necessarily um, have to go out to taxpayers with a big ask, at least for that portion of the project. So it's a lot of work needs to be done, a lot of public conversation. You know, I know that there's, you know, there's going to be controversy probably um, uh, across the board along the, the corridor in terms of what happens to the community, what happens with density and, and so on and so forth. So it's our obligation uh, to work closely with the city of Vancouver um, to, to plan that, uh, that outcome. So, it's a, so that's a good result for everybody. Um, there's some really exciting uh, tran- rapid transit studies uh, that we've been kind of thinking about and talking about on the show. Um, Vancouver to the North Shore, Vancouver to Portland. Um, are there any anything? It, which regions, I guess, are connections that are going to benefit the Vancouver region? Are you kind of most excited about that are under study? Well, so, you know, the, it, it, to me, it starts with I, I'm big into public opinion and, and public input. Uh, so I, I think we have to see how, you know, the public input from our long-range planning uh, informs those choices. Um, I don't have a favorite, um, nor do I want to – I don't want the public to think I have a favorite right. e- either. We have to work through a, a process. I know that every community in the region wants more. Okay? Mm-hmm. That's why I don't have a favorite. You know, what comes first, UBC, thinking about SkyTrain to the North Shore – thinking about drone transportation for all I know. I don't know. I don't <laughs> right. know. I, I just know that my sense of what we have to do is with senior government funding commitments, create an environment where we have guarantees of capital support from the federal government and the province so that we can have a continuous program of development and building over the next several decades. We have to do that. And that way, the various different projects will line up logically. So which project is next? What are the factors that that puts a project to the head of the line? UBC, North Shore, SkyTrain to Port Coquitlam, improving you know, commuter rail. You know, I, I think how we can leverage and capitalize on the very extensive existing um, freight rail network here if you think about it from a 30-year perspective, how do you do that? How do we find better connections to the Fraser Valley and the, and the Sea to Sky you know, corridor as well? You know, Squamish, increasingly a bedroom community for jobs here in the metro Vancouver region. We have to be thinking about that as well. All of those priorities have to line up logically, and then we have to figure out how to kind of slot them in. Mm-hmm. If we do it one-off and very sporadically, 
It'll be harder. It'll be more politically fraught, and it will take a lot longer. Just thinking about you mentioned drones there. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm not big on uh, on on technology and kind of the the future understanding what's going to happen here. But uh, in terms of multimodal transportation and you know Uber Lyft coming, how do you? envision the arrival of ride hailing uh as are there challenges are there opportunities and and other kind of technological changes how are you guys kind of approaching that well as i said um, earlier this is a super exciting time to be in our business and you know the the emergence of the so-called tncs transportation network uh companies ride hailing uber lyft and so forth represents both a challenge and an opportunity i mean the the, the challenge one of the benefits of this region, so I don't want to get into the politics of this, but, but you know, one of the benefits of this region being the last to get ride hailing uh, in North America is it, that the region was able to observe what happened with the, um, I don't want to say early adopters because I think you know, Uber happened to cities yeah. <laughs> given their um, uh, business model. But we could learn from that. And, and clearly there are a lot of negatives uh, associated um, with that, whether you know, probably the biggest negative that we've seen in a lot of cities is the traffic congestion that, that has come uh, from that. Uh, then secondarily, the extent to which TNCs have eroded uh, transit demand and transit ridership is, is concerning. So, you know, when we testified to the province a couple of times as they were developing their policy approach, you know, we said we're, we not, we're not opposing ride hailing. We're not fearing ride hailing. Uh, because we do think that there are some opportunities to to in, improve mobility for the region. But there need to be certain conditions and, and certain things we need to be concerned about, particularly the extent to which it could erode um, traffic. It could, it could increase congestion. If it cre- increases congestion, everybody loses. Mm-hmm. And if it slows our buses down, it makes our buses more expensive, and then people less likely to use our service, which means our fare revenue goes down, and you get into a vicious negative cycle. So these are the kind of you know um, challenges that we have to be focused on. What we need to be working with cities on is improving the speed of re- speed and reliability of our buses, and that's what we're doing with our rapid bus program. So we can sort of take the challenge of ride hailing and say, "Oh, woe is us! Look what's happening to us." Or we can take the emergence of ride hailing and say, "How are we going to improve what we're doing, so that we can continue to be competitive with driving alone or taking the ride hailing services?" So, challenge, opportunity. Any challenge to me creates an opportunity, and I think what it does is will make us sharper as an organization working with lots of our partners to provide even better public transit service in the future, and then find ways that the shared use mobility services are, are augmenting and complementing what we do. So a great example of that is late night service. You know, we get asked all the time, how come we can't run a SkyTrain late at night uh, for the downtown services? We've been through that. It's, very, you know, it's where we maintain the service. The sweet spot and the, the biggest demand uh, times that we've seen from Lyft and Uber is Friday and Saturday nights worldwide. So that improves mobility for the people of this region. So I think if it, if it ups the game and improves, uh, improve, um, creates more and better mobility options, then that's a good thing, while at the same time making sure we're providing excellent public transit and that it doesn't create more traffic congestion. And if three or four years from now, after the emergence of these services, we can say that was the outcome, then I think the region gets a win. Mm-hmm. And if that's not happening, then I hope we can figure out ways to adjust. Well, we know you're a busy guy, Kevin. 
<laughs> and uh, so I don't know. Maybe we'll leave it there. Thanks. Thanks yeah. so much for your time. Yeah, it's my pleasure. So there you have it, folks. Our discussion with Kevin Desmond, CEO of TransLink. Matt, I should say your discussion, pretty much, because you Stop. were you were running the show. I uh, I showing up off of about thirty minutes of sleep. I have a three month old. Uh, not a great sleep the night before, but uh, thanks for caring. Well, you know what? When yeah, I look I knew, back at that I, interview, I'll see one set of footprints because <laughs> you carried me. Cause, that's cause, right because that poem yeah no no i, yeah, I know you what you're, you're i know what you're referencing footprints jc yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 uh yeah but it was it was a great conversation sure uh, i really enjoyed it i think it gave at least in my mind a, a, a better understanding of the future of this region and what we're doing transportation wise really exciting stuff so i'm glad we got a uh, kevin on the show and we picked up the term multimodal which uh, apparently is what the the millennials are super this excited is, this about. This is the future, and I'm actually getting. I, I want to figure out because I our office is in the we well we've got an office downtown and an office in the Canby corridor. But the big thing about it is how I get so how I get to work. So I'm probably thinking of walking a portion, maybe taking the share bike program to work, and then that would be like one way. Yeah. If I was going downtown, I might hop on the sky walk to the SkyTrain, take the SkyTrain, then take <laughs> to a, a car share. To a car share. And then park that and get on a bike and finish yeah. the journey. So- but, uh, sounds ambitious. <laughs> <laughs> Keep in mind, it's, it's it- really only a five-minute walk. Yeah. I'm, just, <laughs> I'm just exploring my options. Um, but, but it's a really neat thing, right? I mean, when you think about connecting in the city... You know, it, it's uh, it's it's phenomenal that there's so many different ways to connect. Hey, the f- the future is here for sure. Uh, yeah. What else do we got? We got what do we have? Let me think. Oh, Vancouverism. Very Beasley have signed the draw. book. We got the draw. So Secret is not here today. He's off uh, doing other business. Drum but he, lessons. But he did uh, give us a winner. Yes, and a copy of Vancouverism by Larry Beasley. That's right. Um, and it is signed with a personal message, and we'll, we'll keep that one private because it is to each potential winner. Oh, yeah, um, is, that is that a good is one. A, that, a good is a, that is a good that's one. A very good and, the, and the winner today, the only one to read the inspiring message is, drumroll secret, Wait a second, is he's not, he's even, not here. even here. How does this work? I don't know. We just keep talking. And the winner is Paul Fang. So Paul Fang wrote, and this he was he entered a couple months back. Yeah, and the uh, the applause is, we should mention is the live studio audience. Yeah. <laughs> where we are recording at the Bento Box. Right. Paul Fang writes really useful information for the real estate newbie with awesome guests. And love the restaurant recommendation at the end of each interview. Good work, guys. Oh, well, congratulations, Paul. Thanks for writing a review. I- interesting that Paul won the one time that we didn't get the five wire done. Kevin is a very busy guy. We had a very short time frame with him. Right. And if we did the five wire, I think that was half the interview. That, so we yeah. decided to cut that. No. But uh, but thank you very much, Paul. That's fantastic. Get in touch, and we got your copy of Vancouver's how, in here. And Matt, quickly, how can people sign up, or how can people actually, sorry, get entered into the draw to win Larry Beasley's Vancouver? It's very simple. You go to Google. You right. type in Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. On the right-hand side, there's a business profile. Okay. okay. You click review. You review the podcast. You're in. We have a couple books left. I don't know if we're doing this for much longer, yeah. but the fact is a lot of you have won. 
A and, lot of you have and won. And a lot of you and, are still going to win. And there's still under 100 reviews, so you have a really good opportunity. And we'd say maybe 20 or so of those, 20% we're have already probably, won. We're probably at 20%. If you write a review, there's a good chance you're getting a book. So just leave us a review. Um, Matt's instructions were good. You should probably also mention that make sure that the business on the right-hand side is ours. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. We also have a website. It's VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Head over there for many things, including resources like private client services. Yes, Matt, if you are not using PCS, you are standing still while the rest of us power walk by. You get sold prices, days on market. You basically get realtor-level information at your fingertips. It's free. It's available on our site, and it is the best resource out there. I promise you, we've tried them all. This is the best way to look for real estate in Vancouver. If you're searching for Vancouver real estate without PCS, you are doing it wrong. We also got the live wire. We do. That's our weekly email. We're sending out deal of the month there. Also, other deals, assignment deals. I mean, you. there's no reason not to be on the live wire. And last, we got our YouTube page. This is our new thing. <laughs> it we, is. We got a YouTube page. We really should say... Head over there and subscribe. There's no reason not to be subscribed to our YouTube Yeah, page. you should be clicking that alert button. And, yeah. and uh, we're still faces for radio. We're just uh, trying it out on video. Yeah, yeah. And so far, so much fun. Uh, is that what <laughs> so, you say? So, <laughs> so far, so much fun? So far, so... Can, old... we, can we cut that? <laughs> Rainy? No, no, no. I think we're, we're going to stick with that. So, uh, so, so far, so much fun. Uh, so long, so much fun. Uh, what else do we have? Uh, how do you get in touch with you, Matt? You can give me a call at any time, 778-847-2854 or matt at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. Or you can try me at 778-866-4574 or adam at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. <laughs> we also got that secret line. That was, that's going to go on the high rate. Yeah. Real here. Info at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. So, so long and uh, so much fun. <laughs> and uh, we'll see you next week, guys. Signing off. Take care. Two thousand faces for radio. Subscribe today. Hey everyone, pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. We want to take a minute to tell you about Holy House, a nonprofit organization that provides community building programs and tenant support services to low-income seniors, veterans, families, and vulnerable residents in the downtown east side and across the lower mainland. Melissa from our team has been volunteering at Holy House. Melissa, what's been your experience? Honestly, it's been so fulfilling just to spend a few hours a week in the community and watch how the staff really transforms these vulnerable communities from the inside out, starting with just small things, right? Playing games, drinking coffee, having some simple conversations that you wouldn't necessarily think are super fulfilling. And you come out just feeling like you've really made an impact and connected with the community. And you've been to multiple buildings, but you're playing games, drinking coffee. Yeah, you know, serving food sometimes. And you made some friends along the and way. And I've made some friends along the way. It's really helped me be more present, actually, in those moments of just, you know, realizing how simple life can be to make an impact, right? 
Fantastic. And if you want to learn more, you can definitely check out Jenny Conkin, co-founder of Holy House, who is a past guest fan favorite on the show, or head over to holyhouse.ca where you can donate or volunteer. And they're looking for both donations and they definitely like volunteers. That's holyhouse.ca. Vancouver needs your help. Be part of the solution. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join, typing in VRP 2020. <laughs> 